Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Salty Pastor Podcast. I am Jesse Mayer, and I want to welcome you to the Salty Pastor Podcast. This podcast has two goals in mind. Both of them have to do with your faith. First, our goal is to coach you in how to understand the Bible. Every Tuesday, we make a deep dive on a particular passage of Scripture. Our goal is not to just tell you what it means, but help you see how you can discover what it means for yourself. Second, every Tuesday, we try and help you figure out how to Thursday. take... Thursday. You're right. <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Every Thursday, we try and help you figure out how to take the biblical principles uncovered on Tuesday and apply to your everyday life. Yeah. The title of this podcast is The Salty Pastor because we are all called to be salt in this world. Therefore, we are not only applying the biblical principles to our own lives to grow our faith, but we also use them to try and understand what is going on in the world around us so that we can be salty. Let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. Ah, greetings to you, every one of you who are joining us today on this uh, Salty Pastor podcast. I'm glad you're here, investing in your faith. Let's see what the Lord will do. So this uh, study we've been working through is in the book of Galatians, and mm -hmm. it's been challenging for uh, us a little bit. Yes. Um, Paul is teaching a very specific thing to the Galatians, and it seems to be pretty technical. Do you believe this has to be, uh, that, that this is the case? Yeah, I think um, on the surface it's a pretty technical argument, but uh, because we're not as familiar with the Judaizers and the arguments that they were making. So in one way, Galatians, like most of the letters in the New Testament, is written to address a specific issue that had come up. You know, they weren't these tomes of reflection and some philosophical opus, you know. Right. It was, they were yeah. narrowing it down to a very specific thing that was Yeah, we got this right problem then. going on. How do we fix it? And they, he, But in the midst of that is you see these really great and wonderful principles so if you substitute the judaizers that paul is arguing against with a modern day legalistic person or a a, a progressive christian person you're going to see how important the book of galatians really is well that's good to know if we if we substitute legalistic christianity or progressive slash cultural christianity then it all really comes to life however it seems strange that legalistic and progressive could both be substituted for these judaizers um aren't they completely opposite well on the surface they're completely opposite in practice they're completely opposite but on the premise they are exactly the same and it's what paul is talking about interesting well, let's uh let's get into it. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll hopefully dig a little more into what you just said on Thursday, <laughs> yes, but let's hopefully. let's dive into the verses. Well, verse 1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, this is a I'm going to stop here because verse 1 is a very important verse. It's considered a primary sourced text because it is a specific declarative doctrinal statement right so it's got a lot of meat and it's very specific and it's very declarative so we call this a core principle that comes from the text and 
the second thing is, is it's an encapsulation of everything he said in chapter three and chapter four. So we see him leading up to making this very bold statement and then how that plays out in life. And so this statement is about your soul. So it's a spiritual statement. He's not talking about your legal status, you know, as a citizen of a nation, he's talking about your soul and its relationship to God. There are three ways then he says we can be burdened spiritually or our souls can be burdened to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ set you free, right? Do not, all right, let yourselves be burdened again to a, a, a yoke of slavery. Well, how do we allow ourselves to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. There's three basic ways. The first way is what you believe. And since our beliefs are formed in our mind, where we uh, think it's our thought life, it's our mind that can burden us with a yoke of slavery. Uh, it's what you think about all the time, what your mind is convinced you that is true or ends up uh, what, when your mind does that, it tells you this is what you believe. So if you believe a falsehood about yourself, right? Right. You believe something that just not true, but you're convinced in your head that it's true. Well, guess what? You have submitted yourself to a yoke of slavery. Maybe you believe something about the world in which you live. Okay. You believe something different or, or off about the reality of this existence. Well, guess what? You end up falling under a yoke of slavery. So what we believe or think is very, very important. So I think that's where it all kind of starts. So what we think and what we believe come from the same place, which is our minds. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the other way we can be burdened by this yoke of slavery? Well, later on in the chapter, it has to do with how we uh, behave or act. It's what we do each and every day. You see, our behavior, the things we do each and every day, create habits in our lives. And these patterns of behavior influence our patterns of thinking. It's really interesting is that if you are acting in a way that's uh, incongruent or unaligned or false with what God says who you are, what happens is that pattern of behavior starts to influence what you believe. Mm. You see, it reinforces or uh, a false belief or it undermines a true belief. So that's a critical important. So if you behave in a way that is inconsistent with what you believe, you're going to submit yourself to a yoke of slavery. And a lot of ways we see this happening every day in people's lives. Uh, this is why people medicate their pain. You know, uh, you try to find a way to ease your conscience, to numb your conscience or wipe your conscience away. <laughs> and that's why drugs, alcohol and other addictive behaviors are so popular in our culture. It's mm. at a root cause. It's with your conscience. Right. The final way, I think it's uh, what we think or believe, how we behave ultimately results in the way we feel about it. Feelings always come after. And so this basically means what you think, what you feel, if those two things, I'm sorry, if what you think and what you do are a yoke of slavery, then how you feel about your life will become 
a yoke of slavery as well. You'll fall into an attitude about your life that burdens you. So we can submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery by developing an emotional response to situations that keep us locked up, tied down, restrained, and unable to grow. Why? Because emotional responses to any situation create neural pathways in the brain. For instance, uh, uh, I've been around a lot of people who have lost a loved one, right? Right. You lose a loved one on some date. It could be something random, you know, March 3rd. There's nothing special about March 3rd. But for the next five years or 10 years of your life, every March 3rd, you'll be depressed on that day. Why? Well, because that was such a powerful emotion, a powerful experience in that moment, and it created a neural pathway that's linked to that date. And so you're going to feel it over and over again. And so once we get locked into these neural empathic emotional responses it's really difficult to continue to grow in our faith and that's why paul calls it a yoke of slavery i see so what does paul teach in the ensuing verses about this process of how we can allow ourselves to be burdened by a yoke of slavery and we're in galatians five today right galatians chapter five okay. verse one thank you for Just making uh, sure yeah make sure well that, that okay so we have this declarative statement you know you've been set free don't be submitted to a yoke of slavery now we know the ways in which we're submitted to a yoke of slavery so then this is when he really starts to show us how we can ensure that our minds and beliefs are right that our behaviors are right and then our attitudes and our hearts are right okay and this is what he says verse two mark my words This is Paul's way of saying, shut up and listen. This is important. (laughs) Yeah. He's saying, you better mark my words. Uh, He is is bringing the heat. You know what I'm saying? He is throwing it right down the pipe at 102 miles per hour. He says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. Uh, The Greek word here translated accurately would say severed. Mm. You've been severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, that's a really powerful statement. You know, you have fallen away from grace because we're saved by grace through faith. Right. And he's saying, you've fallen away from that. For For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope it is in Christ Jesus that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. So he's saying, once you move over to justification through faith in Jesus Christ, the God's grace poured out in your life, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised becomes irrelevant. The only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing itself through love. So, What's really interesting here is that when you study this passage of scripture is it's often, uh, you know, the true meaning is missed. And the reason why is because of systematic theologians. Systematic theologians are people who write about a paradigm in which to understand everything that happened that Jesus said, Paul wrote and everything in the Bible. It's trying to get to that underlying 
premise. And so they say, we want to give you a frame of reference in which to understand this. So from very early on, people have written systematic theologies. And what I do is I call them glasses. It's like, oh, I put my systematic theology on and helps bring into focus a little bit better, or help me understand a little bit better what's going on, the, the underside or the, the underlying foundation of things. Well, the difficulty with systematic theologies is that we forget that they are human constructs. Right. You know, my glasses are good. They really help me see better, but they aren't the human eye. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So what ends up happening is we start to put too much faith in these things, and we start to look at Scripture only through a systematic theology, proving that my glasses are better than your glasses. And when we do that, we're arguing about our glasses instead of arguing about, well, what does the human eye actually see? Right. Okay. And this is what's so important here in this passage of scripture is what he's talking about is he is talking about your soul. Okay. And how is your soul renewed? And he's being very emphatic. The only way it can happen is if you are saved by grace because the act of circumcision or, be, or the decision not to be circumcised is irrelevant, okay? Now, the statements, you've been severed by Christ, you have fallen away from grace, uh, systematic theologians have argued about over a long period of time. Uh, particularly, you have Reformed theology, uh, a subset of that might be Calvinism or a form of Calvinism. You have kind of a Wesleyan, uh, you have Jacobus Arminius, which is Arminian uh, systematic theology. These are some of the older ones uh, as you kind of get up. Then um, uh, you have uh, Karl Barth's dogmatics. Uh, you can go back before the reformers and you have Augustine, uh, St. Augustine wrote, you know, a city on a hill uh, or the holy city. Uh, oh boy, the name just suddenly uh, <laughs> just uh, disappeared in my brain. But he talks about that um, then uh, in his confessions. Then there is uh, Thomas Aquinas wrote uh, Summa Theologica, uh, Anselm. He wrote uh, a bunch of stuff. So, so you have these different theological or systematic theologies. Now, here's what's really interesting is I believe that these discussions are really good to have. But after the Reformed or the Protestant Reformation, and then you had all of these different uh, theologies, systematic theologies coming out, is the reason why there are so many different denominations. Because people have asked before, okay, why are there Baptists and why are there conservative Baptists and liberal Baptists and American Baptists Baptist. and Southern Baptists? And why are there Pentecostals and fundamentalists and why are there Methodists and why are there Wesleyans and why are there free Methodists? And um, why, why are they, you know, I could just go on and on and on and right. on about all these denominations. Well, the reason why is because their systematic theology became so important that they use it as a basis for division. So they segregated themselves off, okay? And this is why Foothills is such a different kind of a community of faith, is that Foothills comes from a tradition that sought to set all of these do divisive doctrinal issues aside. We wanted to set them aside in order that we could be unified so we want to have these discussions we want to have these debates we think they're really good but 
the moment you use it as a test of fellowship or to divide the body of Christ, you are avoiding Paul's own command in this passage. Look at verse six, where he says, the only thing that matters is expressing its uh, is faith, expressing itself through love. So we can't have all this division based on these systematic theologies and how we see them. And, and Foothills uh, adopts a very simple uh, stratagem for that or a motto. And that is in every, it, all the essential things of the faith, we must agree. You know, it's like, okay, did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Yes or no? You know, right. is, is Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit one? Yeah. So in the essentials, but in everything else, we have to have liberty. In other words, you have, you could think differently than me. It, we don't have to be divided over this. By the way, this approach is one of the ways in which uh, America was able to thrive in the 1800s and the movement that or our tradition you know, it's not like it's not what drives everything we do, but we appreciate it is some of the leaders of our tradition were primarily active in bringing America back together after the Civil War. Mm. So it was a lot. It was this church growth movement, church planning movement, this thing that really helped heal a lot of the scars and bring America back together. So so that's why Foothills is really about unity. It's really about we find unity by speaking the truth of Christ and sticking to the essentials. So uh, when it comes right down to it, I think the biggest thing that we have to realize is that Paul is saying to us, there's only one way to come to Christ, and that is through faith in Jesus. You know, in other words, to be right with God is to come through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what's going to be unifying us. And let's not let systematic theologies divide us. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, you must be diligent to preserve the bond of unity. So if we allow our minds to be focused on something other than faith expressing itself in love, then we can begin to think and believe in things Mm -hmm. that undermine our faith expressed in love. So how did the Galatians begin thinking about the wrong things? Yeah, well, verse 7, he he brings that. He goes, you were running so well. You're running this great race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So he's saying something happened that convinced them to leave the truth. Verse 8, he says, that kind of persuasion, so they were persuaded. So someone came in with a crafty, structured argument and persuaded them away from the truth. He says, it doesn't come from the one who's called you. Verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Now, this is really important. What he's saying is that when you preach Christ, you preach the offense of the cross. This is the offense of the cross. Why is a cross offensive? Because Jesus says, I'm dying for your sin. And a lot of people act to go, I'm not a sinner. I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need a savior. So the cross is offensive to those who are filled with pride and arrogance, whether they know they're filled with pride or arrogance or not. And that's what Paul is talking about. The only thing we preach is the offense of the Christ. We don't want to get rid of it. He goes, now this is verse 12. This is really salty. Okay. 
this is what Paul says. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Ooh. So what he's saying is, don't just go in and perform circumcision, which is the removal of the f- foreskin. They ought to just go cut the whole thing off. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Yeah, he's salty. <laughs> yeah, so people are like... Man, Pastor Doug's mild <laughs> compared to Paul. So I think that's a big deal is that what he's saying is someone came in, persuaded them with a crafty argument to get them off. And it acted like yeast. It infected every single thing. So get your head right. And and then that will help you get your heart right. And then everything else will turn out all right. So. That really makes sense. Uh, I, I think we need to keep our minds focused on Jesus mm-hmm. and expressing our faith in him and love. So how does our behavior burden us with this yoke of slavery? Well, yeah, as we go through these things, it begins with what we think or believe about ourselves. So what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. Because what you believe about yourself, you know, those core things, is how you live each and every day. It's what you do, right? And that will either strengthen or weaken what you're thinking and believe. They act in tandem. They, you know, they're like rubber bands. You know, you pull that one, this one will kind of move back and forth, right? right? Uh, And listen to what he says. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So we're supposed to believe that we've been set free. We're supposed to have a sense that we are no longer under bondage. Okay. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping with this command. You love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, what he's basically saying is that when you've been set free, you have to realize is that it's not free to go do what you want. It's freedom to be who you're called to be, right? Live out your identity. The purpose of freedom is not sin. It's affirmation of a new identity. What we do reflects what we believe or think about who we are. Now, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now this is going to be a little salty, but I want you, everybody to think about this. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you continue to abuse people intentionally and you abuse them emotionally or physically, you're not a follower of Christ. Okay. If most mostly because you don't believe in your heart or your head what Jesus said about you. Everyone knows hurting people hurt people. Now, if you know Jesus and have been redeemed by him, then your heart is being healed and you've been called to a new identity in him, an identity of love and affirmation. So you are reborn Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the old is gone. It's dead. The new has come. And he says, uh, if a person, and I, what I'd like to point out, if a person says, I believe in Jesus, and then continues to be like some violent gang member who's trying to prove himself in a gang, if you're selling drugs to kids and you're trying to hook them on on uh, uh, illegal drugs, if uh, you are a sexual predator that rapes 
women or or children and you're in abusive situations you're violent then there's no authentic belief in you there's been no redemption there's been no uh transformation now you might have temptations towards these things and you may have them your whole life but that's not the point the point is is that you see them for what they are an absolute affront to the grace of God in your life, in, in the transformational redemptive act of his blood in your life. And so you do whatever you need to do. I, I remember a story of a guy who, uh, who was a, uh, working for Focus on the Family, and I think it ended up being James Dobson, but he went and he interviewed Ted Bundy, the serial killer, right? And Ted Bundy made this claim that he had become a follower of Christ while he was in prison, right before he was to be executed. So they went and, and they interviewed him and basically said, so now that you're a follower of Christ, you feel you should be forgiven and let off. And he goes, oh, no, not at all. I should be executed and I should be executed right away. And they were like, well, why do you believe that? <laughs> he goes, because, the, because of these things inside of me are antithetical to what what Christ has done and is doing in me. And I can't trust myself at all. I should never be let out of prison and I should be executed for my crimes because that's what justice demands. Mm. You see what, what we want is we want what some theologians, I don't call it this, but it kind of helped. We want grace. That's really, really cheap. Right. And that is, is that we want it to take away our problems and our failures and our flaws, but we don't want it changing us or transforming us. And so uh, what I would like to say is that, well, it's not cheap grace. That's just that there is no grace because the grace of God is so overwhelmingly powerful. It transforms you at your very core. Mm. And that's what salvation is. This is why Jesus said you must be a person who tries a little bit harder and that's okay. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he tell Nicodemus in John chapter three? You must be born again. again. It's a rebirth. And that that's really important to understand that if you try to go out and indulge the flesh and do whatever you want, you are living in a way that puts you under a yoke of slavery because it's absolutely 100% different than what you are now that this doesn't mean you don't make mistakes this doesn't mean that uh you you know drive off the road now and then or you fall and trip that's not what this means what this means though is at your core what do you see those flaws failures and trip ups as what is the nature of them in your new identity well the person with a new identity will say that's new not who i am what can i do what do i need what encouragement what support what structure, what accountability to help me not be that? Because I'm not that anymore. But what people today are saying that is such a problem today is, well, yeah, God has saved me, but this is just who I am. I'm just made this way, so I'm just going to live this way. Yeah, I'm sorry it doesn't work that way. That's right. what he says right here. You cannot do that. So our behavior is critical in whether or not we submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery. How do we think and, and what do we create uh, the the third way in which we burden ourselves with this yoke of slavery. Well, what we think, like I said before, and then what we do ends up with our attitude or how we feel about our right. lives. And so this is all about uh, your emotional responses creating neural pathways 
in the brain. Now, we could dig into that. We don't have a lot of time left today, but I just like to point out is that you submit yourself to a yoke of slavery by developing an emotional response to situations that keep you locked up, tied down, restrained, and unable to grow. Uh, case in point, all right, you're, uh, you're married and you have kids, right? And so you're you grew up in a very, let's say, abusive home, right? And so you say, I will never, ever abuse my kids. Because every, t and so what happens is then your children start to act out and your emotional response is locked into what happened in your past. And so you don't bring any discipline to the table, which is just as damaging to kids. Right. You, you see, it's like kids need discipline. They need direction. They need uh, uh, parameters and guardrails and they need structure. They need all this kind of stuff. Those things don't have to be abusive. But every time you start to bring in a guardrail, if your emotional response has not been set free from that, then it's going to be really, really difficult. Uh, you're go, you're, 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 you date, you've dated a lot of people and you're, you really struggle with finding the one to get married to and, find, and being committed to them, right? Uh, maybe you're a guy that just can't seem to commit, or maybe you're a girl who is attracted to bad boys and fixer uppers. And you know, it, uh, there's a great guy in your life and you don't want anything to do with him. Mm. Well, see, you're locked into a yoke of slavery there because you, without realizing it, have submitted yourself to a neural pathway in controlling what you think and what you believe. And so, because what you think and believe derives what you do, you start to develop, you know, so this guy, he, he starts dating this gal. She is like, hey, I really like this guy, you know, but I think he needs to commit, you know, I can't go further with him. And so after four or five months of, of dating, she says, you know, I, I, where's this going? I really need this to, to understand if, if we're going to be serious and go somewhere or not, you know? Right. Um, this is more than just having a good time with me. I want to develop a covenant with, uh, with, with a man and have a family and all this kind of stuff. And, oh, he's scared to death, so he runs, you know. And then he lives the rest of his life regretting the fact that he ran because he looks back and goes, I was such an idiot, you know. I had an opportunity to step up. It's the same thing with women, you know. Um, they, they go through the same thing. Why are we enslaved to that? Because what we think and what the way we act has developed a neural pathway, an emotional response to various situations. And then when they occur, we don't, you see, we are trapped into being persuaded to do the wrong thing, as Paul says earlier on in the text. So that's why it's so important that we understand the depth of what Paul is talking about in chapter five, because he's giving us the keys to live as free people. So now that we know how we tend to submit ourselves to the yoke of slavery, wh wh why is it important that we <laughs> avoid these things at all costs? Well, because he, he, he kind of, you know, verses 16 to the end, he just draws out the law of non-contradiction again. He goes, these things are in contradiction. They're polar opposites, you know, oil and water, pick one. He goes, so I say, walk by the spirit and you're not going to gratify these behaviors of the flesh for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. So you kind of have two different desires within you and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. Uh, they're in conflict with one another. So you are not 
able to do the right thing. And so if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law, but that means you don't go out and do whatever you want. As he says at the end of verse 17, listen to verse 19. He goes, this is very in verse 19. He says, this is very plain to see. The acts of the flesh are obvious. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, everything like this. Look, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people don't like these statements from the Bible. But I want to point out that you cannot dilute, you cannot reject, you cannot ignore them. If you do, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible said it. Paul wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we must believe it. We can't turn it into what we want it to say. And what he's saying, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you say you're a follower of Christ and you're a pedophile that abused children, you are not a follower of Christ. Mm. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 7, I know this is strong, but people need to hear it. Not all who say unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you say to Jesus, oh, you're the Lord, doesn't mean you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who endeavor to do the will of my father. This is only those who do the will of my father. So is your heart's desire to live as a free person and to indulge a the commands of God as the way to live freely? Or do you see Jesus is a cop-out or an excuse for living according to the flesh. You can't do both. They are in conflict with one another. He says, so how do you know that you are living according to the Spirit? He, he says, well, the fruit of the Spirit is obvious. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guess what? When you live this way, nobody is bothered by that. Everybody loves these people. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so what he's saying is it's easy. So are you pursuing love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness? And here's the deal. If you want the Lord to heal your marriage, then the both of you need to stop pursuing the flesh. The flesh says, I'm right and you're wrong. The flesh says, do it my way or the highway. Flesh says, you're not meeting my needs, and until you do it, I'm not in this. See, that's what the flesh does. It's dissension. It's segregation. It's division. It's hatred. It's malice. It's anger. If you want to heal your marriage, pursue the things of the Spirit. Walk in into the Spirit. Say, I want to pursue love. I want to pursue uh, uh, kindness and joy and peace, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, the big question is, is what do you do when you're pursuing that and your spouse isn't? Well, that's a whole nother discussion that we don't have time for. But in the end, he says this, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And that's a way of saying live in alignment and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he really says a lot in this chapter, but I think it's very powerful and we'll dig into more on Thursday. 
Well, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing those uh, insights with us, Pastor Doug. Um, we appreciate you guys joining us. We are so close to the thousand on our YouTube. So I really encourage you guys, please tell your friends, um, your kids, if they've got like a school email, we'll take any subscriptions we can get. <laughs> and you do have to have a account with YouTube in order to to subscribe so um, and those that's really easy you just go um on to you up. yeah you just sign up you put in you can even use your facebook account to sign up yeah, right you have a lot of options yeah and uh if you can just sign up and help us get to that thousand so many things unlock for us and it will make it easier for us to really make an impact with this podcast and all the content we produce so we yep. thank you guys for joining us uh leave a five-star review if you're listening on apple podcasts um, write in some questions if you have any. Otherwise, we'll see you here on Thursday on the Salty right. Blessings, Pastor. Blessings, everybody.